But we have been in a series of messages from the Gospel of Mark and uh, since last September already. And I hope that you're learning lots as we are, as we, as we study it about the life and teaching of Jesus. But more than just having a head full of knowledge, our hope is that, our, that, that, that we grow deeper in our love for Jesus. Because walking with someone will do that when we walk closely with someone in relationship. Now, in terms of a timeline, we now actually have entered into the last week of Jesus' life as uh, Mark records it. Because at the beginning of chapter 11, Jesus, with his disciples, arrives in Jerusalem to great fanfare. It's what we know as the triumphal entry or, or uh, what we would remember as Palm Sunday. And that event happens a week before the resurrection. And so in that week, there's obviously a lot of events that take place. And uh, Mark, he takes three, you know, he cover, he takes 10 chapters to cover the first um, three years almost of Jesus's life. And then he takes six more chapters to kind of unpack uh, the, the last week of his life. And so last week, uh, Pastor Ken spoke, and then this message today. And next week, we're going to be looking at some of the key teachings from chapter 12. Two weeks from today, Pastor Adam's going to look at chapter 13, and then we'll spend the last Sunday in March when Pastor Quinn uh, speaks, the first Sunday in April, and Good Friday looking at chapters 14 and 15, and it will take us right into um, the, the, the whole event surrounding the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. Now, I don't want to give too much away yet, but in chapter 16, something really amazing happens. And we're going to look at that on Easter Sunday, and then we'll be done uh, walking with Jesus to the Gospel of Mark. Now, today's passage should be pretty easy to remember, because the main verse that this this whole uh, interaction revolves around is found on the banners that are hung here in the auditorium. Now, if you've attended TCC for at least a year, you've probably noticed that we change these banners kind of depending on the season. I think we have four sets of them now. They're all a little bit different. They have different sayings and different themes and different focuses. But this particular set kind of goes up after Christmas and really leads us to Good Friday. And um, I mean, it's easy to forget um, after a while that they're even there and not really pay much attention to them. You know how that's true in a lot of areas of life. We get so used to our surroundings that we may not even notice that they've changed. And like many things we do, they almost become part of our kind of subconscious, right? We do them automatically without even thinking. I don't know if you have this experience, but this happens to me far too regularly. I back out of the garage, I automatically, without even thinking, push the button to close the garage, right? I don't even have to think about it. But by the time I'm at the end of the street, I begin to wonder, did I I close the door? And I'm almost embarrassed to admit that on more than one occasion, I've been halfway to the church when it just is driving me crazy because I've left the door open to the garage. People have full access to everything in the garage because it's a front drive garage and to the house and they can go in. And so what do I do? I turn around and go back to see if it's closed and it's always closed. But I'm not sure about that um, when, when I'm thinking about it because of course I've closed it. I always do without even thinking about it. And honestly, sometimes I wonder if my faith is like that sometimes. I can kind of switch to, to autopilot, and I'm not as aware of the things of God in my life. I don't see Jesus the way I should. 
when my love for Jesus tends to, you know, grows a little cold, it's usually because I just haven't been paying attention. It's not like it's passionate one day and then kind of lifeless the next. It's, it's usually more of a slow fade, just a little drift at first, hardly noticeable. You skip a day of devotions and get back at it the next day, but then the next time it's a couple of days and then sometimes three and I'm sure that never happens to you, and maybe you're surprised that it happens to me, but it does. Sometimes it can be as simple as attending a worship service where, where once it was maybe a regular part of our weekly activities, and then, and then life happens, and there's illness, or there's sports, or there's work, and there's, sometimes it's just they're all good reasons, but sometimes one week stretches into two or stretches into three, and before long you're kind of going, man, we haven't been at church for a while. And, and I'm quickly looking around because this always happens to me as I run into people sometimes in the grocery store or whatever. And, and right away, I mean, it's clear to them, they haven't seen me in a long time. And there's one place that they're going to see me, and that's right here. And the, the, they get all, like, kind of nervous and apologetic. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we haven't been at church for a while. And I'm like, well, yeah, obviously. Um, but, uh, no, I don't do that. I'm probably much more kind kind than that. But, you know, we just have to be careful because it, it, it's just so easy for us to kind of just drift away. The hymn writer puts it in these ways. He says, you know, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And, you know, that can be true for any one of us. My point in all of this is that I think we really need to pay attention to what I might call the temperature of our relationship with Jesus. And the temperature is a direct connection to the thermostat. The thermostat is what we actually set the temperature to. That's what we can control. And there's certain practices that, that we can participate in that will set that temperature. Something that we can be intentional about. And so as I thought about this, just as we're heading into these next few weeks, and because this is such a key, key voice, I was wondering, or such a key verse, I'm wondering if we can commit to a little exercise for at least these next six weeks leading up to Easter, because on Easter Sunday, these will, these will change. But what if every Sunday we came, and before the service even starts, we just took a moment, and, and we um, very intentionally read each of these banners from left to right, slowly and thoughtfully. Love God with all your heart. Love God with all your soul. Love God with all your mind. Love God with all your strength. You see, for things that we do automatically, they say it helps to actually think or verbalize what you're doing. So if you go back to the garage door, instead of just you know, doing it without even thinking about it. If I pause, if I say to myself knowingly that I'm now pushing the, the button on the remote and I actually watch the door start to close before moving on, I likely won't have to turn back to check to see if I closed it. I'll remember what I said to myself and what I saw. And so maybe if we do something similar when we sit down and when we look at these banners and we read it, maybe we think about it in view of the week that we just had. We can ask the question like, you know, have my actions and my thoughts and my choices, have they can be inconsistent with, uh, with each of these statements, with loving God with my whole being? And why is that important? Because I believe that when we get this right, 
loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength, I think everything changes. When we can move our faith from Sunday to every day, so now, now on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays, we remind ourselves because we've, we've memorized this verse and we make it sort of a, a, a little point of reference, of checking in to say, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And you know that it doesn't end with that. Love your neighbor as yourself. So it's not just automatic. It just doesn't blend in. It's not just nice decoration, but we're intentional about reminding ourselves about what is known as the greatest commandment. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Mark's record of this exchange between Jesus and one of the teachers of religious law, it feels like a friendly conversation. That isn't always true in some of these interactions that, that Jesus has. Sometimes they're, they're intentionally trying to test him, and, and there's an aggressiveness and a hostility. Um, but here the teacher of the law just quite politely asks him, well, Jesus, of all of the commandments, which is the most important? And verse 29 of Mark chapter 12 records Jesus' answer. He says, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, or hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. And Jesus here quotes Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, in order to answer the question, what is the greatest commandment? The teacher of the law would have known this passage by heart. It was known as the Shema. And every Jewish person would have known the words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It was and it still is used as a call to worship in a Jewish synagogue. And Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And so this wasn't something that Jesus made up on the spot. He's quoting the Old Testament. And this particular verse, it was repeated two times every day by faithful Jews. So every Jew would have known and would have been able to recite this verse at a very early age. And maybe that's true for some of us, that this would have been one of the first verses that we memorized. Now there was good reason for the teacher of the law to ask, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Because you see, the passage that Jesus quotes is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and in chapter 5, just the previous chapter, we have record of the Ten Commandments. Additionally, traditionally, Jewish rabbis, they talked, they tabulated all of the specific individual commandments of the Mosaic Law, and there were 613 different specific individual commandments. Now that's a lot of commandments to keep straight. There's a lot to remember. And the danger, of course, is if you don't remember all 613, that you're going to start to violate some of those, those laws. And so the challenge that the Jewish rabbis put out was that they always wanted to develop a single, simple working principle that somehow would summarize all 613 of the commandments. 
And attempts were often made to sum up this whole law in a single unified command. So it's not surprising that Jesus would be asked, what is the greatest or most important commandment? He was being asked to come up with a statement that would capture all of the commandments. The rabbis and experts in the law, they would debate then these one-phrase summaries. But Jesus didn't come up with just this one statement because he quickly added, if you noticed how it was read, he says, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And here again, he quotes another Old Testament command, this time from Leviticus 19, verse 18. So he didn't just give one command. He couldn't because for him, yes, love God, he says, but, but love people as well. He couldn't separate the two. And love for God and love for people cannot be divided. This is how John puts this principle in his first letter, chapter 4 and verse 21, 1 John 4, 21. And he says this, And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Couldn't separate the two. If you're going to love God, you've got to love your brother and your sister. Jesus is asked, then to give this summary statement, he quotes these two Old Testament passages that would have been well known by the, by the teacher of the law. And so he simply reminded him of what he already knew. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And maybe that's what this message is simply to do for us today, just to simply remind us of what we already know. Maybe to take something that has become maybe a bit of a, of a routine or a bit of a ritual and put it back front and center in our minds. Now this is really, this passage, when he makes this statement, it really should be taken as a whole, but I think it can be instructive when we, we break it down a little bit. And so I just want to look at these four statements that Jesus makes, actually five. But love God, he says, first of all, with all your heart. And if you just stop and think about what does that mean? It's the heart is our control center. The heart really controls our affections, our emotion. And Jesus says, as Matthew records in 6 verse 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when we talk about loving God with all your heart, that's exactly what we're asking. What is it that we treasure? Is our, is our heart fully engaged? What is it that really captures our heart? And we can look at this from a negative perspective too. We, we probably know what it means to, to kind of put in a half-hearted effort. We might just say, well, we're really not, you know, into it. There's no sincerity. We may mean well, but our actions say something absolutely different. Now, probably my, my favorite instrument to hear, just even on its own, is, is the piano. And uh, I know that we have some piano players in here, and you're probably saying, yay for the piano. But when I was young, um, I took piano lessons. Um, not willingly, mind you. <laughs> I was forced. Um, but I did love the sound of the well-played piano. And back in those days, I listened to Frank Mills. Does anybody remember Frank Mills? Oh, look at everybody over 50. Um, music box dancer. You know, Peter Piper. These were, these were great songs. And, and I would listen and go, oh, man, 
If only I could play like Frank. But unless you're specifically gifted, you have to practice and practice to be able to play like Frank Mills. And while I hope to be able to pray like, play like Frank, my heart really wasn't into practicing. And, and so I remember this one particular traumatic memory that I have from taking piano lessons of going um, on the way. My sister was also taking lessons from the same, um, same piano teacher. So we're driving to the piano lesson, and every week my piano teacher would have this chart in a little music dictation book, and it was with columns. Just, are there some piano teachers here? Do you still do that? You know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and you have the name of the song. And for each time you play the song, you're supposed to put a little tick. Well, I'm on the way to my music lesson, and I open this book, and I'm, there's not a lot of ticks. And, and she's going to be ticked. And so I just start to fill in. I wasn't like, like making like five for every day like I was supposed to, because I was trying to be honest in my lying. But... <laughs> But I just put a few in there just to make it look like I had practiced. And so I go first, play this song, and I couldn't play the song. Play the second song, and I could just feel her just anger welling up within her. And she grabs this book. I'll never forget it. Like, this was violent. And she took... She took an eraser and just erased all of the marks that I had just made on the way to piano lessons and wrote with her fist, practice, and like dug the pencil through the pages, um, through the page itself. I wasn't into it. And uh, I think I got my grade two Royal Conservatory when I was still uh, um, responsible. And then... um, I think my grade four when I actually fail, and then I took grade five, and, and I can do a C scale now. So if you want me to demonstrate that for you sometime, um, I think I can still do that. But if your heart isn't really into it, it makes loving God very difficult, if not impossible. You see, David in Psalm 86, 11 and 12, he passionately prays. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart. He, he was praying that God would f- so fill his heart with a passion for him. He says that I may fear your name, not, not, in, a, not in a way of being afraid of God, but in a sense of I really want to revere you. I want to praise you. So he even goes on to say, he goes, I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. And you could say that David was really into God. But what if we prayed like that? What if we were honest enough to admit that sometimes our heart is divided, that there are times where we treasure other people and other things more than we treasure God? And if our heart is into it, I believe that our actions will follow. And sometimes the simplest action is just that we talk about our relationship with God. Because I believe that we talk about the things that we love, and we love the things that we talk about. And so how much God talk is there in our lives? It's a good assessment of where our hearts might be at because the Scripture says it's out of the overflow of our heart that our mouth speaks. 
And so can we talk about our relationship with Jesus to others as well? Secondly, I want to move quickly now. Love God with all your soul. The soul is our eternal part. It's, it's all of who we are, true character. It's really what makes us tick. It's what drives us. It's our passion. A closely associated word is devotion because to be devoted means uh, to give up, okay? To give up oneself or one's time or energy, etc. To give up to some purpose, activity, or person. So in relationship to Jesus, we surrender, we sacrifice, we give of ourselves, we put our whole soul into the relationship. We take our deep desire to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, and we take action. We don't just talk about loving God. We engage in the very practices that deepen our understanding and our relationship with Jesus. We make space to encounter Jesus through worship, through a consistent rhythm of rest and work, of silence and solitude. Because we all know how empty a relationship feels when it's just marked by dull routine or dry obligation. Simply going through the motions When there is no passion, it's not very exciting, nor is it very attractive to others. But loving God with all of our souls means that we passionately pursue a relationship with Him. You know, this isn't about just coming to to faith in Jesus, entering into a relationship with Him, and then continuing on as if no relationship ever existed. It's not just looking at the good news as something to to benefit from in the future. It's recognizing that the good news is something that we experience every day and it enables a full life now. And so we give ourselves wholeheartedly to a growing, vibrant, active faith where there's evidence and there's fruit and there's discernible change that's taking place in the very people that we are. There are so many things that we can be passionate about, but the question simply is then, what are we passionate about? If we really think about that question, what would it reveal about us? Think about someone you could say you were passionate about. You know, if you're married, hopefully you're passionate about your spouse, but it's this passion that motivates you and drives you, sometimes even to do crazy things to express your love. So we love God with all of our soul. Love God with all of your mind. This love for God is an intellectual love. It's our understanding. It's what we know to be true about God. We add our intelligence to our affection so that this isn't just some kind of blind devotion. We thoughtfully follow Jesus. We, we get to know him. We, we think about him. We talk to him. We know he's always with us because he commands our attention. And when we have our attention on God, it becomes an expression of our love for Him. So here's the question to think about. What do we think about the most? What takes up our headspace? Honestly, that's a little scary for me to think about because there's lots of things that fill my mind. Good things. Tina, my kids, my dad, the church, sports, the Oilers. They're, They're good things mostly, but I have to be careful not to allow all of those good things to consume me, especially those things that aren't about relationships, because God cares about those relationships that we have. 
And scripture talks so much about our minds and the way we think and, and, and says in, in Romans 12 too that we're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Elsewhere in Romans 8, verse 5 and 6, Paul writes this. This is a powerful verse. Listen to this. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Just think about that. That that those who are dominated by the sinful nature, they think about sinful things. And, And so, you know, James talks about how Um, desire conceives sin. And so there's this seed that's planted. But what we do with it in our minds is indicative of the kind of life that we want to live. Is that something that I start to process? Or I just say, no, I'm not going to think about that. And I redirect and I focus on, on things of the Spirit. So basically what this means is that God should command our attention. We should practice his presence all of the time, just being aware that he's always with us. He's within us as followers of Jesus. We've given our life to him. His spirit resides within us. And so then even in the routine events of the day, we can, we can think about how do we love God with our mind? What do we do? How do we think about him? Well, we spend time with him. We, we find a time and a place where we can get away from all of the noise and all of the distractions, and we give him our undivided attention. And that's part of what we do on a Sunday morning. We, we, we want to try to put, minimize the distractions in our lives and just focus on what's taking place here and what's the Spirit doing in our lives, and we, we pay attention to these things. But there's also time in, in the Word, um, one of the things that we've been encouraging during the Lent season are some Lent readings, and I, I send them out with the weekly email, so if you get that, you've already gotten a, a digital copy. If you want a hard copy, they're on the back tables and over by the, by the name labels um, as well by this door. You can, you can pick one up if we don't have one, but it's, it's, some, it's just a form of devotion, like a little devotional that gives you some, some prompts, some scripture to read, and some things to pray through. And so we spend time with God in prayer. And, and, and sometimes, like for me, it's helpful to have a list of th- some things, but it's not just kind of getting through the list. It's lingering, or even in the devotional, you see a dwelling, where we're just dwelling in the presence of God. We've read his word, and God, what are you saying to me through your word right now? And so if you want to grow in this whole area of prayer, I want to say again, attend the equip class that starts on Tuesday night. And let's continue to grow as a church into being a church of prayer, which are made of a people of prayer. Love God with all your strength. We do this when we use our practical abilities to love and to serve God. We, we serve Him with the strength that He provides, and it involves our resources of time and talent and treasure. We know from the teaching of the Bible that God has given every follower of Jesus at least one spiritual gift, and he expects us to use it to serve him and others. And this spiritual gift is is a special talent in a sense. It might be leadership or administration or evangelism or giving or serving or teaching or encouraging or even to show mercy, and the list goes on. But we demonstrate our love for God when we use the gift or gifts that he's given to us to serve others, to serve within the church. If you wonder what your gift is, you know, if you're serving and loving it, you've probably already determined what your spiritual gift is. 
Um, Rick Warren in um, The Purpose Driven Life, uh, that's what he's famous for, he uses this acronym called SHAPE, which stands for spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, and your experiences. And, and, and so even if you don't know what your spiritual gifts is, ask yourself, what, what, is, what, is, what are you passionate about? What's your heart all about? Uh, what abilities uh, do you have that just seem to be fairly natural? And, and it might even be that's why you do what you do uh, on a daily basis. What's your personality? Are you a compassionate person? And maybe you have the gift of mercy. And what experiences have you had? Where else have you served and utilized these gifts? So you can determine what your spiritual gifts are. But the question really is, is where are you serving? And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a gift that God expects you to use. So don't hold out on them. There's a place for you. Look around and when you can find something that you can say, you know what, I can do that. I'm wired for that. Just let us know and we'll get you on a schedule. We'll work you into that rotation. If, you have, if you're like, I don't even know where to start, but I do want to serve somewhere at the church, you can just email Jenna and it's an obvious email, serve at tcchurch.ca and she'll help you get plugged into a place where you can serve. And so we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But Jesus didn't just give the teacher of the law that one statement. He gave the second that he already had said was equally important. He says, love people. And we have a banner for this too. And I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but it's when you're going to brunch, it's just to your right. It's by the water fountain over there. And, And this is just simply love for everyone else. When Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan, he was making the point that it's not about who my neighbor is, but whether or not I'm a good neighbor. And so, are you a good neighbor? Am I a good neighbor? Am I intentionally looking for ways to meet some of the practical needs of my neighbor? Do I take the time to connect with them personally, relationally? I suspect with... with um, Each of us, we could make a huge difference on our streets and at our places of work, wherever we find ourselves tomorrow morning, if we just started to pay attention to others and their needs. Might even be on the drive to work. And this is how many of the ministries at TCC have gotten started. We look for places that we could come alongside others and just help meet their needs cook and connect for single moms that we can just come alongside and say, hey, can we help you uh, feed your kids once a week and, and, and prepare meals that you can use in other days of the week? Conversation Cafe, you need a place to practice um, your, your English because you're a, a, a second language learner and you want to speak to those who have spoken English their whole lives. Community events, we're always looking, what are the needs and how can we meet them? Because you see what happens... And this is where loving God and loving people is connected. It's that as we're formed spiritually, we come to realize that we're also called to be on mission. Because as we're formed and shaped as disciples of Jesus, as we're growing in our love of Jesus, we come to realize that we need to share that love with others. You see, the big question that we ask in life, what is the meaning of life? Where do I find my purpose? I want to tell you, I want to suggest to you strongly that this is where it's at. Love God, love people. You can do that in any profession, in any career, in any location where you just say, that's it, I'm going to love God, I'm going to love people. The vision of our church is to see people passionately walking with Jesus in order to joyfully serve others. Now, doesn't that sound a little bit like 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as yourself? It's just another way of expressing it. Love Jesus, love others, because you can't separate the two. And after Jesus answered the question, the the teacher of religious law gave a thoughtful response to Jesus, and he commended Jesus for his answer. And he said, well said, you've spoken the truth. I, I know that it's important to love him with all of my being and to love others. In fact, this love, he says, is more important than any religious ritual, more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices. Why is it more important? Because we can go through the motions And so Jesus here realizes that the man almost gets it right. And so he says to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. He doesn't say you're in the kingdom of God. He says, you're just not far. You're oh so close. But you still haven't crossed the threshold. And Why is it? Because the key to understanding all of this is that we love God. And we love people because he first loved us. And that's the part that we have to settle in our hearts and in our minds first. To recognize that Jesus is the Savior. He came to save us from our sins. And so I put my faith in him. I turn to him in repentance and recognize that it's just a gift of grace. I don't do all of these things to somehow get him to love me back. He already loves us. He loves us. And so we love God and people because he loved us first. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this straightforward, simple summary. Summary of all of the commandments. Boil it down to this. A phrase that brings meaning and purpose to our lives. Something that can really even change the trajectory of our lives because we, we go from loving self to loving you and loving others and being people who are being formed by your love for us. You're shaping us. You created us and you then mold us and make us and form us. And then you send us out on mission. And so even when we leave this place, we don't leave you. You go with us. And you go with us into our schools and into our neighborhoods and into our places of work. And you call us to be people who just love the people around us, whoever they might be, whatever color, race, religion, stature, whatever. We just, we love people because that's what you've called us to. Father, help us to really understand your deep love for us so that we can turn around and love you back and love the people that you've put around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.